Hello and welcome to Following the Rules. This is a podcast about the rules shaping UK and EU financial services and the people responsible for understanding and implementing them. Because in one of the world's most regulated sectors, following the rules isn't always easy. I'm your host, financial journalist Lucy McNulty, and every episode I'll be asking the most influential personalities in financial regulation for their input on the sector's most pressing issues. Now, more than ever, our communications are distributed and digitally connected. They are the lifeblood of the enterprise. With Smash, you can leverage all of your communications as a strategic asset. Smash enables companies to transform oversight into foresight by surfacing business critical signals in more than 100 digital communication channels, from email to WhatsApp to Zoom and many more. Regulated organizations of all sizes rely upon the Smash portfolio of cloud-native, AI-enabled digital communications capture, retention, and oversight solutions to help them identify regulatory and reputational risk within their communications data before those risks become fines or headlines. Smash serves a global client base spanning the top banks in North America, Europe, and Asia, along with other leading financial firms and various government agencies. To discover more about the future of communications capture, archiving, and oversight, visit www.smarsh.com. Purpose is something that has to come from the organization. It can't be regulatory driven. In the corporate world, what people want is confidence that leaders' actions back up the intent. Values aren't values if they're just on the wall. Today's episode is a little different to normal. It is a recording of a recent panel discussion from City and Financial Global's ninth annual Culture and Conduct Forum for the financial services industry. I was invited to moderate a panel on moral capitalism, and we discussed how financial services can best link their profits with their purpose, how the newest intake of graduates is influencing firms' decisions as they define and promote their purpose internally and externally, their transition to net zero, and plenty more in between. I hope you enjoy it. Well, welcome everyone, and let's start with introducing this morning's panellists. We have Tina Lee, the CEO of the UK arm of the US banking giant Citigroup, Debbie Crosby, the CEO of the world's largest building society nationwide, and Mary O'Connor, the executive chair of specialist insurance and investment solutions provider Howden Capital Advisory and Placement. I'm Lucy McNulty, I'm editor of the financial regulation podcast Following the Rules, and I'm moderating the panel today. So moral capitalism, what is it and how do we achieve it? Well, we'll be delving into exactly that during this session. Our panel see moral capitalism as going far beyond simply aspects of environmental, social and governance and diversity inclusion issues, although obviously those are important elements of it. Ultimately, we see it as being about placing purpose at the heart of your business. So with that in mind, Debbie, in what tangible ways can financial services companies place their purpose at the heart of their business and how have you achieved that at Nationwide? So good morning, Lucy. Thank you. So I got the privilege to take over as the chief executive of Nationwide around 18 months ago. And one of the first things that I did in the same way as I think most chief executives do is they think about the strategy of the business. And what that allowed me to do is really think about the purpose of Nationwide. And actually what I would say is for me, purpose is at the heart of our strategy. It's not just about ESG. It's not just about slogans. It's not just about positioning where we are. It really drives the strategic activity that we follow. So we set a new purpose. And in doing that, we really challenged ourselves to say, What is unique about Nationwide? Where do we compete? 
And how will that help us make decisions and drive strategic activity and prioritise the business for the benefit of our members? And we've got a really unique position <coughs> to bring purpose to life because our organisation is member-owned and that really gives us, I think, the absolute opportunity to really put the purpose at the heart of our business. So we've got the purpose at the heart of our business, which is banking, but more rewarding and fairer and for the good of society. And we thought very carefully about every word I would say. And then that allowed us to really prioritise what we called our strategic drivers, which prioritises all of our activity and makes it very clear to everyone in the organisation the what we're going to do. And underpinning that, we came up with a behaviour set, which is really a lot of guidance and not just what you do, but how we expect you to do it within Nationwide. And look, that's been hugely successful. And I really feel all of that comes together. We call that our blueprint. And what that means is that not just when we're talking to customers and members of the society, but also when we're talking to any stakeholder, everybody should be really clear about what Nationwide stands for, the purpose of our organisation and the activities that we'll drive through to really deliver against that purpose. Okay, thank you. And I'm interested to know how you measure that going forward, but we'll get yep, to that later. Sure. Tina, your business model is very different to Nationwide's. How do you, as a CEO of a very large, very diverse international organisation, both define and communicate your purpose to so many different stakeholders? Well, I mean, I have to admit, Debbie, that I've always been incredibly envious about Nationwide because your ability to actually define your business model so clearly and therefore your purpose is something which, you know, I've always envied. And of course, at City, we have a very different business model. We pride ourselves, amongst many things, as an organisation that has enormous global reach. We operate in nearly 160 different countries, but that presents its own challenges when it comes to purpose, because we have so many internal and external stakeholders across the piece. How do you do that in the right way? And of course, as part of those external stakeholders, we also have shareholders, which are an important group, but not the only group. But of course, the topic of this panel is profit and purpose. And for me, profit is a critical part of building a sustainable business. So at an organisation like City, where sometimes when one talks about purpose, you can sort of get lost in the high level. You know, we, we have a, an overarching mission, which is to support economic growth and progress. But what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean to our people? So for me, it's actually about storytelling. And it's about how do you make it real? So just keeping it very simple, City, for example, we facilitate $4 trillion worth of flows around the globe every single day. So we're helping companies pay invoices. We're initiating payroll. We're helping them hedge their financial risks. We helped a biotech company IPO during the COVID pandemic. So there are things which, through examples, <coughs> we can demonstrate the role an organisation like City plays in our communities. So that, for me, is really important, is actually how do you bring the mission statement and the overarching purpose down to a level that actually most of our people, our 240,000 people within the organisation, will actually understand in terms of the job they're doing every single day. Okay. And what I found interesting, just from an observer's point of view, is how much one individual not buying into that purpose can actually have an impact on how that purpose is communicated and, and develops internally. 
Gen Z, Gen Z, however you want to refer to them, the newest intake of graduates into the workplace, take all this very, very seriously. What recruitment opportunities and challenges does that pose for financial services companies, in your view, Mary? I think it's really important. You know, they have a, a really different perspective on the world. And I, and I think a lot of it does come down to, to purpose, right, and to having something where you can show that you're doing well by doing good and that you have alignment with the wider values of stakeholders. But the other thing I think is really important when you're recruiting, uh, when you're bringing Gen Z onto your team, is being able to do it, and, and again, this echoes the themes, in the ways that they understand. Because, you know, one of the things we've done when we've done surveys or feedback or talk to people, values aren't values if they're just on the wall. And, they're, you know, people in Gen Z in particular are very, very sensitive and look for a lot of data that says that you're not living in alignment with your values. And they also want to know, what do the values mean to me right now? Like, I get, you know, you as CEO, Mary, might be out there saying, we're providing green finance to the United Nations, you know, and expanding the, the reach of green development. But what does that mean to me? You know, and so you have to bring it down to how is it that this is impacting you in your day and how do we expect you to behave? And I think your discussions around the code of behaviors, what does that mean to me in my day-to-day -day life? And importantly, what do I do if I see something happening that doesn't align with that? Where do I go? Who do I talk to? So that you can get those situations cleared up sooner rather than later. Maybe if I could just add one thing as well. That is, I'm sure as we're sort of all competing for the best talent that comes out of universities, Gen Z are very focused on how do I make impact? And how can I be in an organisation that makes impact? And actually, climate change is a really good example of that, where I, and I quite often have this conversation with graduates, where it's like, OK, you care about the planet. So if you care about the planet, what type of role could you do? You could go join an NGO. You could go work for a renewable energy company. But to your point, actually, Mary, about data, here in the UK... I think City of London estimates say that we're going to need $110 billion worth of financing to transition to net zero by 2030. How are we going to do that? That's a lot of money. That's not going to be provided by the private sector. That's the private sector, public sector, providing innovative financing solutions. Where's the best place to do that? A financial institution and a global financial institution. So having these types of conversations that allow you to actually align purpose with activity, I think it's really quite important when you're attracting talent. I think mm -hmm. it's a great point. And the thing I'd add to that, too, is that because some of these are new and emerging issues, you mm -hmm. know, the people who've been doing it for a long time don't have all the answers. So one of the other things that, that I say to people is you can step in and you can have more <laughs> impact potentially than you would have had before because we're not going to be doing things the same way we've always been doing them. We need to innovate. We need to have new ideas. And you can bring those to us because you come at the world from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. So it's quite an exciting proposition for those just starting out now. Debbie, once purpose has become the blueprint of your company, how do you monitor your culture to ensure that it remains so? Well, look, I pick up on a couple of the points that both Tina and Mary have made. I mean, I think in the corporate world, what people want is confidence that leaders' actions back up the intent and the words. And Mary's made several points that I completely agree with, and Tina as well, on simplicity. You've got to communicate a message that people can understand and that, very importantly, they can look at the actions which the leadership team take <coughs> and relate it to, yes, I understand how that fits into the commitments you've made. So it's a call to action that they can recognise. So we do a range of things. 
we engage, as Tina's described, with a, in a lot of conversations, but we also do a lot of surveying and we allow people to make comments and we monitor very consistently how people feel, not just what they, you know, just what we say, but how they feel about what we do. Um, we have an overall colleague engagement index, which I'm sure a number of you have, and we can see quite significant rises in the important measures when people can relate specifically to you said and you followed through in a very consistent manner. The other point I'd make is when Nationwide renewed its purpose, that wasn't me sitting in a room myself coming up with a great idea. We really engaged with a lot of people right throughout the organisation. We talked to our customers, we talked to our members, and we really brought people along the journey of come together and commit to a purpose that you think works and relates to the values and the behaviour set that you think works for you as an organisation. So we're really clear about what we stand for. We want our colleagues and our customers to understand that. And our behaviour set is a really important of measuring what we do. But I'd make the point, our behaviour set, we set as a ceiling, okay, not the base conduct mm -hmm. level. Conduct's different to me. If you don't know how to behave properly, then that's almost a, a conduct issue that should be dealt with. Our behaviour sets a ceiling, it sets an aspiration, it sets a, a level of ambition for what we want people to aspire to, and that's something that a lot of young people have really bought into in Nationwide. Okay. Audience members might be expecting us to delve into regulators' roles in helping companies shape their purpose and monitor their purpose. Tina, can you explain why you believe progress towards a purposeful and profitable financial mm. services sector is best driven by the industry itself and its yeah. market structure? I think that's right, because I think purpose is something that has to come from the organisation. It can't be regulatory driven. Although, actually, it was quite interesting. Probably now about, gosh, five, seven years ago, the FCA led a session. They brought lots of industry leaders to the FCA, and we talked about purpose for about half a day. And at the time, I have to say that probably I sort of struggled a bit with the concept. You know, we all sort of sat together in a room and thought, right, for financial services, what does it mean? What does it mean for the industry? What does it mean for our firms? But actually, it was a really, really good discussion. And for me, that was almost the perfect way in which a regulator should think about these emerging issues. And this was obviously post-financial crisis, where purpose then became something there were more stakeholders to really address. So what they did, they sort of opened the door to the industry to say, look, you need to really think about this strategically. And then they allowed the industry to sort of walk through the door and actually develop their own purpose with their own organisations. So I think that was really helpful. But ultimately, it has to be the organisation itself, the leadership and its people. And I don't think there's ever one change, a silver bullet that's going to sort of make things better. This is a multi-year journey. It's a generational journey. So we talked a little bit about Gen Z. Every time we have a new generation come into the workforce, things have to recalibrate. We have to change the way we do things, otherwise we'll never innovate. So for me, there's a really good partnership, I think, between regulation, which sets the guardrails, but then allowing flexibility for industry and individual companies to set their own purpose, which is authentic. Okay. And, and I just build on that. So for me, I think that the, the regulatory framework sets a really good level of standards and guardrails, mm. to use Tina's phrase, but I think it's absolutely the organisation's obligation to aspire to mm. really deliver above and beyond, not just in terms of purpose, but you know you have to have good profits. You cannot have an organisation function sustainably without making a good level of profit. Um, you know, for me, these two things are absolutely in intrinsically linked. 
And I think sometimes, you know, we get very lost in the midst of it's not good for your purpose if you're making profit. It is absolutely good if it's in line with your value set, if you're making good profits and you're confident that it's, it's been done in a sustainable and way in line with your purpose and your values. I'd just add one thing to that. I mean, I come from this now, you know, having worked at big public companies, having been a regulator, I actually ran through persons, and now I'm, you know, I'm at a private equity-backed company. Where I think the regulators can be really important is, obviously, organizations need to own this, and it really needs to be owned by the CEOs, because yeah. that's where you drive the doing well by doing good ethos that, that brings people along with you. But I think the regulators have a particular role with smaller firms, with firms that are financed in different ways, to be able to kind of set benchmarks, push people towards having good standards, let people understand what good looks like, and pointing out really good examples of where companies are really succeeding in that. And and one of the things I think when we have these debates is, you know, we tend to focus on the big companies, but, you know, the actual, most people that are working in financial services are actually working at much smaller companies. And so I think it, it's bringing, you know, the greatest number to the best place in the fastest possible way. We're kind of all invested in that, and that they're a really good uh, way to help help that happen. Okay. Tina, do you have a wish list in mind in terms of what changes you would like the financial services sector to be pursuing now? I don't have a wish list. What I have is an aspiration for continuous improvement and to be, again, to use Debbie's words, sort of, you know, what are we aspiring to here? What makes City an organisation that talent wants to come and work at and be proud of working in? So it's so multifaceted, I think, Yes, the tone from the top is important, but also the challenge is how do you then ensure that actually purpose comes down through every single layer of the organisation. So it's not a magic bullet. It's more, it's something that we have to continue to focus on every single day of the year. Okay. And you've mentioned financing the transition to net zero Mm. as it's obviously arguably the most important project for the industry now in helping finance the transition Mm. to net zero emissions. Net zero obviously referring to a state in which greenhouse gases going into the atmosphere are balanced out, a removal out of the atmosphere. Financial institutions have a critical role to play in that transition as facilitators of economic activity. Mary, what proactive steps do you think the financial services sector should be taking in this context now? I think it's kind of three things. I mean, I mean, I think, you know, the first thing is, and particularly this goes back to the Generation Z, is you've got to have your own house in order, right? You need to know as an institution yourself, you need to have your own house in order, you need to know what you're doing, and you need to get alignment with your people around what your purpose is and how you're doing it. The second thing, I think, is to innovate. You know, free people up and help people, you know, as leaders, our job is to free people up and let them be the best that they can be, you know, so that they can innovate and bring new ideas together. And it really is going to be around partnering. I think, fundamentally, like, you know, city for all the size you have, you can't do it alone, right? You're going to have to do it with other people. Insurance, we're linking up with other types of capital to try to enhance that capital to create better outcomes. This is kind of a team sport. And then I think last but not least is that we have to keep pushing for continuous progress. Every day, the transition targets, I think, get bigger and the prospects become more difficult for us to do. But at the same time, I think every day we have more and more power to be able to change it. So I think it's not just keeping your foot on the gas, but really finding a new way to, to move forward on this. Well, just before we go to questions, moving down the panel, perhaps starting with you, Mary, if you could pick one action point for audience members to take away from this panel to further the goals we've discussed during this session, what would that be? Yeah, the best part about purpose is enabling your people to give 110%. You know, as leaders, we want our people to be able to give the most that they can give. And because we don't have the answers to a lot of these problems, I think having a great purpose and letting your people be as free as possible to think about that, that's the way we'll be the most successful. 
I would say it's really key that you put purpose at the heart of your strategy because one of the most challenging things, whether you're a large organisation, a medium size or a small, is fighting your way through the prioritisation of what comes first, what do you do and how do you really keep the focus on your customers or indeed your various stakeholders and I think the way that you do that is by putting purpose firmly at the centre of your strategic intent and really ensuring that you've got signature actions, your day-to-day -day processes, procedures and everybody lined up behind that focus on execution and then I think you don't just drive profit but you drive good profit, you drive it sustainably and you drive it consistently. I would say communicate. So go back to your institutions and think about how your own company delivers profit and purpose and think about how you can communicate that back to your stakeholders in plain English. Okay. So you've got some time for questions now. Does anyone have a question to ask? Hi, good morning. My question to the whole panel is around the challenge for leaders. What do you think is the biggest challenge for your leaders to achieve a balance between profit and purpose? I think, first of all, you've got to convince people that it's not one or the other, it's both. Right? And, you know, even in an organisation like Nationwide, if I don't make good quality, sustainable profits, I cannot return value to members and I cannot sustain. So I think the first challenge is to set them up and set the leader mindset that you have to achieve both. And this is about balance, which is why I'll come back to if you have got the right purpose, your leaders have been engaged effectively in developing that purpose with you and they believe in it and they will drive all of your strategy and your strategic actions behind that purpose, then I think both will come. Profit's much easier to measure, so I would say think carefully about how you measure purpose and how you measure the sort of buy-in that you're achieving. And if you do that consistently, then I'm confident you'll get the results that you deserve, frankly. I'd say that just in terms of making sure that when we are helping our clients do transactions make sense you know what is the purpose of them how are we supporting them you know so again it's how do you bring that purpose to real life how do you actually say okay this is our mission what does it mean on a day-to-day -day basis and that goes to the heart of business selection I'll add to that. I mean, I think business selection is really important. I think we're on a journey towards demonstrating, you know, we have this enormous opportunity, right, the, the climate change transition, to be able to do well by doing good. And I think it's continuing to find those examples and show how we can do things in a different way and keep bringing that back down. Because, you know, there is, in the backs of people's minds, I think there is still this question or this trade-off or this fear of how are we going to make this transition? And, you know, where should my priorities be? And how do I get this right? And I think the more that we can just kind of demonstrate that it's working, the better we will be able to do it. So I've been in the fintech for 25 years, and I'm first of all, I'm just glad to see panel that is full of women. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we're talking about communication and values within the organization. I have one small concern in how the organization itself and the model of the org chart itself is changing. I don't think it's changing fast enough to be able to implement really understanding the values, the culture, bringing innovation fast enough into happening. You know, we still have an organization that is the classic model. I believe like you can't have like a Gen Z sitting in the advisory board today, or you can in some unique cases, but in general, I feel like, you know, the reassessment of what that word means to each generation is very, very crucial to actually understand if the word we're saying means something. Given the latest circumstances, we can't even understand if when we say, do you have common sense? Mm. 
means the same thing to everyone. It means peace, that it means the same thing to everyone. So I think, just brainstorming with my own self, having small kind of little hubs of kind of mini advisory roles within the company in different places, not really vertically or horizontally, but more multidimensional, where we can have a little bit of representation from each individual, especially to create real diversity and inclusion, it's very important. Sometimes when I see decisions being made, then they should have just asked me. This is the wrong time, wrong tone, and you're like having people happy on the, gr- on the floor doing their jobs, and then you just send that communication, and I'm like, here we go again. <laughs> so that's yeah. So I think one of the sort of most underrated skills of a CEO is listening, right? And I can think of multiple occasions where even you know before I became a CEO, I was involved in various feedback forums and all the rest of it, but they're one thing, okay? What the leadership of an organization has to do is properly listen. And we get very comfortable, false comfort, often over the process of engagement. But the question is, what is informing and how are you taking that feedback? And look, the, the, the other pushback I'd give to you is, um, if I responded to every piece of feedback I got, right, I would never get anything done. So look, I think it's a point really well made. And I think an organisation has to have those mechanisms to respond. And what leaders have to do is communicate very clearly, you said we did. Right? And I think that's something we put a lot of effort into in Nationwide. When we set the strategy, there was an initial bit of a, oh, here we go again, because that's what happens in organisations when the new CEO arrives. And what, what I thought I had to do was set very clearly a set of signature actions that proved I was listening, but not only listening, prepared to act on and demonstrate a set of actions that could deliver against the intent that we'd set. We did something called a fair share payment, right? Because we gave um, a lot of our members back £100. And the £100 wasn't the point, right? It, you know, it was really meaningful and it was, it was bringing strategy to life for our customers. But for our colleagues, it was about, ah, okay, we've set a strategy, we've set a strategic intent. Now I can see you've listened to a lot of the feedback. A lot of the feedback I got was, uh, you know, it's great having a member-owned organisation, but people don't understand why that makes a difference. Yeah. So the payment was designed to say, this is the difference it makes. Okay. Does anyone have any thoughts on the ladies' suggestion of a Gen Z individual sitting on an advisory board? I think it's different solutions for different types of organisations. So I think reverse mentoring is a brilliant way of doing that, where sometimes getting feedback from somebody that's sort of three levels below you is eye-opening, because it's just a very different perspective. But I also think more broadly, being very aware of who are you listening to, and making sure that you're not always listening to the same people or the same groups. You know, so you can be lulled into a false sense of, yes, this is the right way, when actually you're just speaking to the same people who all sort of agree and have a bit of group thing. So actually being aware of who's in the room and actually mixing up who's in the room can also be very helpful. Okay. Any other questions? Just on employee retention, I think nowadays is a, a huge issue, and particularly then purpose becomes quite relevant. But also I think how companies invest in ensuring that the communication is accurate and also that everyone is heard. But I mean, do you have any idea on how much more as an organization you had to invest in this compared to uh, several years ago? Mm-hmm. Because with social media and with other influence and easier for people to switch uh, jobs, it's a challenge for many organizations to keep the purpose at the right level and to ensure that everyone can yeah, can recognize themselves in the purpose of the organization they're working for and not shifting to and therefore 
investing in continuous professional development, investing in ensuring that the, the, the staff is paid sufficiently. It's a huge impact for, for many organizations, and particularly for smaller organizations, to keep that uh, at the right level. And yeah, for, for your organization, it's easier, but particularly yeah. if you're yeah, a smaller company, what will be your advice? Yeah. Uh, look, for, for me, you've got to do it top-down and bottom-up, because if you don't engage really effectively through every layer, people in the organisation think, oh, well, the CEO set this purpose, that sounds wonderful, but on a day-to-day basis, my experience is I'm not listened to, I'm not trained effectively, I'm not given guidance. You've got to tackle this at multi-levels and consistently ensure that it's reaching down into the organisation. I mean, Tina talked uh, very passionately about the value of communication. I couldn't agree more because... What you don't want is that dislocation where people are looking up thinking, oh, wow, you know, we've got this great purpose, but, you know, my day-to-day life just doesn't feel like. So so we are constantly ensuring that our people leader programs, our team leading programs and our mentoring programs are reaching in to, you know, how do people experience the behaviours? How do they get trained? And we constantly look at 360 and, and feedback. We've seen in our latest survey, which is going to complete on Friday so these results are, are a little premature they might change but we ask people the question are you thinking about leaving nationwide in the next 12 months in nationwide that's now at an all-time low it's just below four percent now some of that's got to do with the economic environment right so we shouldn't be naive but I believe that's a lot about not just top down really bottom up how, what's your experience like on a day-to-day basis people leave their managers they leave their organizations because their individual experience of how it manifests in their day-to-day life and I think it's really important not to lose sight of that when you're at the top of an organization. I would add to that I think the the most important thing really is you know the lived experience of colleagues and we've done a lot of research and there is a lot of research on this right that Mm -hmm. says that that's what people do people leave bad managers they like to stay in good organizations you know most employees are looking for a reason to stay but I think you have to tackle it in a multifaceted way it's about you know what kind of assignments do people get you know how much recognition are they receiving for what they are doing you know are their activities being reflected back to them you know in a positive way by the senior members of the organization and it's really sort of tackling it at at all of those aspects of of their lived experience and then I think as a leadership as well you know good organizations like a nationwide or a city where you're tackling this every day you're surveying is finding where things aren't working too and stepping in because you know that's the other thing that your teams want you to do as a leader they want to say well when there are problems you step in and you support leaders in getting better or fixing the problem or making my situation better. In terms of getting feedback from the cold face, one thing I've always found interesting is the well-known approach from the Monetary Authority of Singapore to track culture within the firms that they regulate is to walk the floors yeah. and go up to individuals and say, tell me what the values of your organisation are. Give me an example of a recent bit of work which has reflected those values. And I think that's a yeah. really powerful way to, to ensure that that is resonating through the organisation. Yeah. Agree. One okay. last question at the back. Uh, yeah, just thank you for your time coming and talking to us again. I'd echo the comment that it's lovely to see a panel of females. But also, how do you deal with those situations where you find that actually it's more about profit than about purpose? How do you navigate those very close calls where possible business opportunities might be really challenged when it comes to your purpose, but it's a really good opportunity. So I'm just curious how that gets handled in the reality of business. So if we have sort of marginal, because sometimes it is about judgment, 
And it is the grey area because, of course, if things are black and white, that's the easy stuff. But uh, I'm sure all our organisations have things like reputational risk committees where actually it's around getting a good selection of individuals within an organisation, whether it's first line, in other words, the deal team, do they believe in a transaction, what do our control functions think? And ultimately, you know, having that debate together where then on balance we decide whether we want to actually go ahead with the transaction. So I think that provides a good discipline and a good structure. And of course, the more of those you do, I like to think that actually the more consistent your decisions are, the better your decisions become with regard to actually really appreciating, you know, what the type of business that actually any organisation wants to do. And look, I agree with that. I mean, the only build I'd put on it is when we relaunched our purpose, we spent a lot of time at the leadership team level, not just the senior executive down through the organisation, really challenging people to say, what does our purpose mean? And really pushing people to define it against all of our strategic initiatives. And that was actually, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, for God's sake. But what that allowed us to do, having spent that time to really hone in on what does it mean on a day-to-day basis and, you know, what, how do we think and how do we believe that this will come to life? So when we got those decisions that were a bit more tricky, we had had a lot of conversation about where the red lines were. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that it was not as challenging as Tina described, but it, it meant that the time that we spent up front really pushing ourselves on the definition meant a lot of those day-to-day conversations just were a lot faster. People were a lot clearer on why we'd gone certain routes. And it just makes, on an ongoing basis, the communication and the agility of the organisation to respond a lot faster. Well, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today, but thank you very much to our panellists for their insights and a very interesting panel. Thank you. You've been listening to Following the Rules with Lucy McNulty. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be very grateful if you could rate, review and subscribe on all the usual channels. It helps other people get to know us too.